Alright, hello everyone! Welcome back to Animoot. This is a podcast where two different animators, independent animator, studio animator, come together and talk about different animation topics. However, you happen to be listening to the last episode. Uh, feel free to browse through the past topics. Each week we had a different topic we talked about. There's a lot of good information. But today, we have a special episode. We're finishing already, it seems so quick, but at the same time we've been doing this for nine months already, I think. Really? Nine months? It feels like it's been maybe six months. I have no idea. I <laughs> keep track. No, yeah, you're right. Just around yeah. November-ish. Anyway, yeah, so it's finale time already. It's been getting a bit tricky to fit into all the other projects, so we're gonna uh, t take a step back for a bit, treat it like, a, I guess, maybe a regular TV thing, where it's like, okay, have some time off, maybe we'll reconnect in the new year, we'll see. Uh, but when we first started it, we were sort of spitballing, will we do the who are we, let's get to know each other <laughs> kind of topic, but we never did. So this whole thing happened without any particular backstory on who we are as people. Uh, so we're going to do that as the ending instead, isn't that nice? We've picked out some artwork from just our past, like the, like the embarrassing stuff. Uh, to, to kind of talk about uh, our evolution, how we got to where we are now. However, I read this as find about half a dozen images to sort of sum up the story. Uh, but Crown read it as about 40 images or so. So apologies if our stories sort of like are a bit uh, all over the place. But that's okay. Um, who's going first? Okay, so we thought that you would actually go first. Um, since you had fewer images and we'll see sort of what the timing is on that, and then I will go second and try to match the timing despite the large number of images. I know we tried to stick to images that were crucial in our art journeys, which is the theme for this episode. And the interesting bit that's going to be different is I am an artist who did not start drawing planning to be an artist my entire life, which is, I find, oh, somewhat unusual because most artists who are professional artists always knew they wanted to draw, but that wasn't the case. So I'm really curious to see the difference between my art and Onion Skin's art. Oh yeah, let's get your reaction to this. I might have shown you this before, I don't know. Here we go. <laughs> yeah, I do remember seeing this before. I think we talked about how you would draw a Dalek every year, I think, to see the differences. Have I talked about this on the podcast even? Uh, I think I think so, a little bit. But But so this is the first piece that you picked. And have you been yeah. doing that every single year since then? No, 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 no. It's um, this is pretty much the only two times, uh, and I'm getting excited because if you look at those dates, it's twelve years between them, and it's nearly been twelve years again, which means I get to draw a new Dalek next year, particularly one in this uh, color scheme. <laughs> okay, so this was um, 1996. I was six years old at the time. Uh, Doctor Who was probably it's going to come up a few times, so I apologize for anyone who's like not interested. Uh, but I feel like most people have sort of have their franchise that just like, but like they get super excited about, um, Doctor Who and particularly the Daleks was the one for me when I was probably about four or five years old, saw a, an episode from the late eighties called Remembrance of the Daleks. And I was like, what are these robot <laughs> things? This is so interesting. They're not human shaped at all. They just glide around. Uh, but I remember drawing this one, which is why it's sort of significant. And I was having such a good time doing it. I didn't want to stop, which is why stupid birds and a person with arms coming out of their waist. appeared. <laughs> <laughs> I have a question though. So, uh -huh. um, at the time that you drew this, 
we didn't really have the ability to go on the internet and search for references. So were you drawing from memory or did you do something to get a visual for you to look at? I drew them a lot. Like I said, this was the thing that first got me into drawing. Um, it was a combination of pressing pause on the VCR and, uh, and copying from toys. Oh, okay. That's different. I had a couple of toys that my father had from the, from the seventies and eighties. Uh, so unfortunately the toys were really inaccurate back then. We only started getting screen accurate toys in the, uh, 2000, late 2000s, 2010s. So that's why I have a ridiculous shelf full of them. I need, I have too many. I need more. <laughs> but it always, it's always <laughs> like that. The, the show always has pretty bad merchandise to start off and then it gets better. As right. So, <laughs> so of course this sort of being a two part image, I don't have the one of just the original on its own, but I think it's funny seeing the 2008 one. Um, skipping ahead to that point, uh, 2008 was my TAFE year. It was one year out of high school. Uh, we did like a small cinema 4d, uh, course over about a couple of, no, I think it was for about a month or two, but it was a pretty slow course. Um, TAFE is kind of like the, like the community college in Australia. Um, and it was a digital media uh, course, which was a very ridiculous mixed bag, you know, a week of web design, a week of logo design, a week of 2D animation, a week of 3D animation, a week of film, a week of photography. Like it was so many different things that you couldn't really stop to master anything. And every student was there for a completely different career path. And there were probably those who were there, you know, probably the right thing to do that course for is a, I'm interested in something in digital art and I don't know what. And then you'll probably you know, take a liking to something by the end. So, so you took that course and then decided not to go to the, did you take more stuff in community college or not for art? No, it was, it, that was just a one year thing. Uh, and the image on the right, the 3D dialect was the bit of an eye opener because, uh, you know, cause the course was so here and there, I went home and just found a tutorial, uh, that built a Dalek. So I was like, oh, this is a shape that I'm interested in. And it's based on the blueprints of the props. So it's going to be, you know, 100% screen accurate. And I learned more in uh, that. It was a big tutorial. It took me like two weeks to finish it. Um, but I learned more in that time that I had in the course that I'd done so far. Uh, so that was when I decided that um, for pursuing this career path for me as an individual was uh, I could get away without going to university. Wow. Wow, that's an amazing way to have that revelation. Mm -hmm. And it's it's a hard topic to talk about, especially when, you know, there are, uh, you know, young artists and animators that listen to this to probably deciding whether or not to go to university. I sometimes hesitate being the guy who says don't go because I'm very, I'm very lucky that it works for me. But you tried it. That's, that's, that's why I asked if you did more because you took this course. Yes, it was just a one year thing, but you took a community college course, which would tell you if you wanted to keep doing that. Yeah, so the revelation there was um, to work a job while studying from free online content in my spare time. What did you do for work? Uh, it was it was like a graphic design company because because like I always liked doing cartoons and wanted to pursue that. Um, but the adults around me would say, uh, you know, but you know that stigma of like, oh, artist isn't a real job. So what I thought was true was that if you wanted to do art as a as a job, it would be graphic design, you know, logos, business cards, uh, the corporate side of things. So I did that for one year and I just hated it. I was no good at it uh, and it 
you know, doing uh, client work for small, you know, the local plumber and st- stuff like that it was very, very difficult. Uh, so it was after one year of that that I was like, no, no, I specifically wanted to do cartoons. I specifically want to do animation. I need to make that happen. Uh, so I sort of shifted to other small jobs just to sort of have an income while I continued to practice and study on the side. Uh, so this has a 12-year gap in the middle here, so I should probably fill in the middle a little bit. Um, unfortunately, I didn't collect any more drawings from uh, young primary school, but I do have this one. It's interesting because they all have sort of the same theme, right? So it's showing your inspiration and what you're interested in. But the style of each is different. You had, of course, the the child hand-drawn with whatever tools you were given. And then you have this sort of painterly style one. And then you had the 3D render. So all different mediums. Mm-hmm. It's um, Which is funny because, you know, I don't do backgrounds. I don't do 3D. <laughs> so... <laughs> But, I mean, you found out whether or not you liked it or wanted to keep doing it by trying it. That's true. And, you know, I'm interested in getting back into 3D and backgrounds and stuff, but it's certainly not where I found my niche. This image has a huge amount of significance, though. It's probably the turning point. Um, Because for all of primary school and high school, I was the only person in my area who drew and enjoyed doing that sort of stuff. Um, So, therefore, I didn't have to be very good at it to have a positive reputation for it. I could I could be kind of crappy and everyone be like, oh, wow, oh, drawings, how impressive. And I was like, oh, yes, thank you. Also because my style was extremely cartoony, which is weird because I haven't brought any of those along today. Maybe in post mm. I'll sort of just flick up a few examples for the hell of it. Um, but the great thing about drawing an extremely cartoony way means there are no rules to it. No one can tell you that the perspective is wrong. No one can tell you that the anatomy is wrong because it's so exaggerated, and I liked that. Every time I tried to do, draw something even remotely realistic, it would become uncomfortably clear how rubbish I was. So this is year 12, so I'm 17 at this point, uh, and I'm doing a uh, the sort of major work for my final art class, which is a uh, it was a short animation that, that I called Spyware, and we'll be returning to Spyware a bit later as well, um, which was this... Uh, <laughs> the, the, do I even explain the premise? I don't know. Um, the set of this room uh, was a device called the Hyperlink. It basically transported people to and from the internet in a sort of matrixy kind of way. Uh, and I spent the whole weekend painting this set, uh, and I was so proud of it because it was the most detail I'd ever put into a piece of scenery or whatever. And I took it into into class, and my art teacher just ripped it to shreds. Oh, so this is the one? Yeah, this is the most... Uh, sorry, the first time I ever received proper critique. And, like, you can see it. I mean, like, this dome thing. We're looking down on this dome thing, which is on the ceiling. Uh, there's a lot of things to break apart in this. And, like, I did not take it well, because I put so much time and effort into this. Um, but it was a real wake-up call, and after this moment, I was, you know, finally open to receive criticism and feedback, and I was finally open to feeling comfortable in failure. So I started to experiment a lot more with different styles and using, you know, like, I didn't even use construction in characters up until this point. Yeah, I, similar thing for me, really no construction. And for a while, for a long time, actually, actually I would just sort of, like, stick my nose up at people who did it. Same thing with storyboarding, right? But then you learn that if you do it, it improves the final product so much more, but you're just refusing to accept critique or 
any suggestions or do any drafting because you're like, no, I'm too good for that. I can just whip it out. (laughs) So this is the biggest wake up call that I so wish I had, you know, six to 10 years earlier uh, because I, I drew so much in high school. I improved a lot during then, but it was out of sheer boredom. I, you know, I was just sitting in class doodling. Um, So it was only passive practice, you know, the only improvement was just because I was doing a lot of it. It was never because of deconstructing and practicing things that I was bad at on purpose. Uh, so although I actually get to do less drawing now, things are improving faster because when I do, I make it count. So immediately after this happened um, was when a lot of practice happened very, very quickly. So although I didn't have any friends in real life that were drawing, uh, there were a couple online. Uh, particularly me and my mate Jess, we would catch up every couple of weeks. Oh, no, every other day or so. I'm just going to sort of flip through these slowly. Uh, whenever there's a number one, it's her image, and where it's a number two, it's my image. Uh, and we would sort of catch up every other day, just pick a theme, uh, and we would have 30 minutes to draw it. So, like, here's a butler bot. We had a similar taste as well, so, like, sort of, like, sci-fi sort of stuff was always quite fun. Um, and then we would critique each other on on our different imaginings of the same theme uh, and uh, you know, offer advice. We'd sometimes try to decide, oh, is there a winner? So it's like a little <laughs> bit of a contest. Uh, so I improved very, very quickly in a very short amount of time. And it also made me realize a lot of shortcomings. Um, the influences were in a weird direction though, because I never really watched anime or anything like that. Um, but her style was very much an, an anime influenced one. So because I looked up to this friend and wanted to sort of like draw art like that. Um, things started to move in that direction. It was sort of quirky. <laughs> um, but I think one of the ongoing themes and looking back at it now uh, is very relevant is my mindset was very much one of more detail equals better drawing, um, which is not true. Yeah. So look at that. Like we did a mech one, right? And I'm like, oh, I love drawing like robot stuff. I know. I'll just fill it with pistons and gears. And just it's just this freaking mess. And it's got no structure to it. It would fall over. Uh, it looks sort of flat and plain. Um, but because I'm always just zoomed in drawing all the little parts, uh, I was like, oh, this is just like automatically going to make it a better drawing, right? Um, but then look at her one. It's just got form. Uh, like she critiqued me a lot on this one. I remember it very clearly. Um, because again, I was pretty happy with the amount of detail in it and that it was sort of like steampunky style shapes. Like he sort of got like the scissor lift and like the, the bolts and the gauges on the chest, <laughs> but that was it where versus this one, like that's something you can sort of believe existing in that time period. Like it's got weight, it's kind of chunky. It would work. And also the astronaut with the top hat is just hilarious. So I think we kept that up for like a good year or so. And that was a extremely beneficial so i guess anyone who's looking to uh, try and get better quickly find a friend that you have similar tastes in i suppose and just challenge each other and just keep it up for as long as possible moving on let's finally do an animation this is the only one that i'm showcasing i sort of chipped away at it i think over a couple of months so like each shot was like a day So what's nice about that is each shot, there is a noticeable improvement in how movement works. I was a very tweeny Mm. guy. I really like symbols and I very rarely did frame by frame. So even those three characters, those shadows darting across, each one I experimented with a new kind of movement 
and it got better as a result. I, I always love seeing the difference between the first animation and the artwork that you were able to do because it's as if your artwork goes backwards like eight or nine years in quality in order to do an animation. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> well, look, I mean, you know, right now it's just shapes, right? And like the backgrounds are really sketchy and quick. Indeed. <laughs> well, this was the same um, year, 2008. So that's the same year as the 3D Dalek one. Yeah, yeah. So you can see a clear difference in the, in the ability to draw a still image versus the ability to have to draw many, 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 many pieces and tween them around or whatever it was you were doing. It's probably the only thing from that time period that I could still watch um, because I can see the lessons learned in it rather than just trying to tell some stupid joke that isn't funny. Um, okay, weirdly enough, I don't know why I included two 3D things in this thing because I'm not a 3D guy, um, but I think it completes the story because of um, that franchise spyware. So after doing the first one, which was the art major work, I was like, oh, I've accidentally built such a big universe for this thing. I know, I'll do a sequel. And it has a 45 minute long script, uh, which I couldn't make in 2D. I know, let's do it in 3D. So I built every character, I built every set, I storyboarded the whole thing. Uh, it was all completely ready to go. And then it, I just never got around to animating it. <laughs> uh, so this is what the character looks like in 3D. Like it's, um, it's fully rigged. Uh, let's see if we can get in there and move some of the parts around. Like. If I ever returned to this franchise, it would be for the sake of making a documentary on its development, because I think there is a lot for uh, young artists to sort of learn from it, because the big lesson for this was to just finish something. I spent so many years in uh, preparation and thinking about it and preparing that, you know, there's still nothing to show for it. I've got all these folders full of assets and concepts and things, uh, and, and that's it. Like... I can't ever return to it and just finish this franchise now. It's it's too old. It's obsolete. Like these, uh, you know, I was happy with these models at the time, but now I'm a working professional. Unless it has, you know, professional level quality, it's uh, not not useful anymore. So the first one, sorry, the other side of the eye should open. But there, my point is that there's an eyeball in there. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Um, Yes, yeah, so I just wish so much that when I finished the first one, which was a Flash cartoon, I just immediately would go into making the sequel uh, and do that one in Flash as well. But I didn't. Instead, it had to be this massive uh, undertaking. Uh, and, you know, it was like a five-part franchise. Like, each movie was an hour long. Uh, and, you know, it would keep getting longer and longer because every idea that I would have or every idea that would get suggested would just get put in and it just really fell into that sort of world builder syndrome and the, you know, not being able to curb the bad ideas. So it got rebooted and reinvented a couple of times and it just sort of exists in purgatory forever without the feeling of it ever being... Like, I, even now, I still feel like I can't quite let go of it because nothing ever happened. But you built this rig. I mean, you built this whole rig. So is this your story that you wrote? A spyware? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I mean. Like this, this, it was just like the biggest personal project I had at the time, but it was far too ambitious. It was too big for one person to make. Clearly. You have a 3D rig here, and that already makes me nervous because I don't know when you made this, but... This was 2010. Yeah, okay. So, because you're listening to this so now, it's and it's almost 2020... And 3D is very pervasive, you know, anybody can download Source Filmmaker and, and make 
stuff, right? Bad uh-huh. stuff, good stuff, doesn't matter. But 10 years ago, the resources were nowhere near as available as they're now. So doing something 3D in that time is a little crazy. But the again, the point is that I should have just... Finished it. The, the big lesson I learned was how dangerous feature creeping is. So it's one reason why I'm so transfixed on, on willpower in my game. Uh, because it is just this bucket list thing now that I need to finish one personal project ever in my life. <laughs> oh, uh, and the reason why I've chosen this one is because it's it's feasible. It actually seems plausible to be created by one or two people. Uh, and even then, every few weeks or month or so, more ideas come out. Oh, we could bot this into it. It could get bigger and crazier. Uh, but... Every time, you, you know, every idea that takes five seconds to think of will probably take three months to implement. Also, the story for this is, I mean, it, like it's called spyware. It's, it's about the viruses that existed in the mid 2000s. <laughs> so <laughs> if it was to ever happen now, it would be like an internet period piece. Yeah, I don't even think people would remember <laughs> that. Right? Like it was um, uh, all, all about like schisms. But the, the idea of it, um, like the elevator pitch was the internet wasn't made. It was discovered sort of implying that it always existed. It was a naturally occurring dimension uh, and humans were more or less invading it. The, the, the aggravation of viruses, they were, they were the, the natural wildlife that lived there. Uh, so they've actually been living a life of defense. The reason why they attack computers is because they just want to be left alone. They're trying to destroy the portals. See, that's a solid premise. Yeah, that's what I mean. That's, that's quite fun of it. Um, but consider this was in an age before smartphones were a thing. Uh, so the only access points with, with the internet were computers. Uh, and Wi-Fi was still a relatively new idea, uh, which was internet traveling over nothing. So later in the story, it would have gotten revealed that Wi-Fi hotspots were, in fact, dimensional rifts, weak points between the two worlds, which could be broken down under the right circumstances, and you could just walk from one to another. Now you'd have to rewrite all of that. It just Right? With, like, 4G, internet's everywhere. I mean, you could probably take it into different uh, angles where it's, like, you know, maybe just the two worlds just sort of merge together, and, you know, like, you could... People could just like fall off the edge of one randomly walking down the street, land in the other, or you start seeing ghostly figures of, of what the internet looks like. People would always compare it to things like Tron, of course, because oh, real world, digital world. Um, but personally, I'd compare it a lot more to Dawn of the Apes because it was, sort of, it was a lot more about that sort of um, racial schism, the, the, the tension between the two. Neither side were truly villains but they were terribly misunderstood and there was so much communication issues that they were just super tense all the time. Like both sides with their fingers on the trigger, both wanting peace and wanting to understand, but the slightest mishap and just all hell breaks loose. And you can't let that idea go, even though it's been so long, Um, (laughs) you still think about it. Well, I mean, I have, I haven't actively worked on it for many, many years. Right. But that's not the same as mentally saying I'm, never going to return to this but you know i guess there's no reason to say that though because really any animation director is usually pulling from ideas that they've had for many 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 years that either got rejected the first time or just they've been sitting on for a really long time with no idea how to implement until suddenly it makes sense yeah certainly pieces could definitely be salvaged in other projects and sometimes they they have even you know like it's it's Again, like this world is enormous. Like there was so much lore and uh, like it, originally it was like the five films and then it's like, oh, there could be like a season of a show inserted in, in between each film. Uh, it was nuts. Uh, I, I couldn't stop adding to it. 
Um, but none of it is something that you can really sit down and read or consume. It was all just just endless notes and uh, sketchbook drawings and stuff like that. Um, so it would be nice to sort of make a documentary of just the <laughs> themes and the lessons learned from a, a development standpoint. Oh, yeah, yeah, that actually really would be interesting, I think. But, yeah, versus the, the, the TV shows where, like, once they're done, they're just done. So I don't need to think about it anymore. There's nothing left to add to it. I've got the DVD in my hand, and that's the end of it. Uh, this is the last one, um, which is when we finally get into the actual um, professional work side of things. Uh, and I need to be careful about what I show. I'll probably just show stills or maybe some small, small clips and be careful about how we edit it. Is this piece of a show that you worked on? Yeah, yeah. So this is this is my first um, professional gig, and it sort of rounds out the story quite well, because the first thing I worked on professionally was, in fact, Doctor Who. Because the show's been running for ages. It's like over 50 years old. Uh, and a bunch of the old episodes from the 1960s are simply gone now. They just do not exist. TV was very disposable then, like broadcast radio. Uh, no one would have thought that would still be getting talked about all these years later. So a lot of stories and some significant ones are just missing. I managed to get involved with the team. For some reason, it was happening in Australia. We find all of the audio that still exists, uh, scripts, photos from the sets. Sometimes there's little like three second clips that had been recorded off television monitors and junk like that. And we tried to make as faithful, faithful of a recreation as possible. That means animating it in black and white, trying to get the characters to look exactly the way they did. Uh, and that's super important because episodes from back then were serialized, parts one, two, three, four, etc. And most of the time, a couple of those episodes would still exist and a couple of them didn't. So this first one, The 10th Planet, um, parts one, two, and three are still intact. And part four was not, which is kind of a bummer because part four is arguably the most important one um, because it was the first regeneration story. It was the first time they swapped out the lead actor and ultimately is the thing that has allowed the show to keep going. Uh, it was also the first appearance of the Cybermen, which is one of the most um, popular villains, second to the Daleks. Uh, so when I first walked into the studio and saw the storyboards of the first regeneration scene, I was like, oh my God, you're doing Death Planet. <laughs> so this is one of the first bits that I shaded. And this was drawn by um, uh, Paul Johnson, who I've probably brought up a couple of times. So that was a big thrill to be a part of because I was following his work for years and years and years. Um, the very first shot that I did though, and probably the one that I'll focus on for the story. Is um, This is the regeneration sequence here. Where they're pounding on the TARDIS doors. And then... There's one shot in particular. Which is of the, the, the time rotor in the middle of the TARDIS rising and falling. Which is that one. And my friend who I joined at the same time with did this following one. Uh, so that being the first thing to work on. Being a prime element of the show. You know, the ship is something that has lasted throughout the whole show's history. Uh, was quite a thrill. However, it was animated in Photoshop, which is the worst. It's the only time I've ever, ever animated in Photoshop, and I've basically vowed to never do it again. Oh, no, yeah. Yep, I've done it too. Took about a full week just to shade that. The week that was spent doing it was probably the single most crucial, like, fork in the road uh, in my life. Uh, because at the time, I was working at a laser tag place. Have I told this story? No. <laughs> Okay, so I was working at a laser tag for about a year, and that was one of sort of the, the side jobs where I would go home <laughs> and uh, keep practicing animation stuff. But I was starting to let go of the idea of pursuing animation. 
I really liked working at the laser tag. It was it incorporated so many other skills. Uh, and it was clear that the owner had lost his passion for it. Mm. It was an extremely well-run business, but it was passive. It was almost automatic. It was so well-run. Uh, so much so that he could spend the majority of his day just playing MMOs. Uh, so that was starting to show. The place was very run down. It was very dusty. Uh, and there wasn't really any innovations happening, which is fine years ago when you're the only game in town. But now all the bowling alleys were opening up their own laser tags and they had a budget, <laughs> which is kind of a problem. <laughs> Um, so I was like, oh man, like I could probably, like if I, you know, pursued interest in taking over this place, he might consider it. Yeah, you could, you could turn it around. Yeah, yeah. So this was starting to look like it could happen. I managed to talk the boss into sort of letting me run the whole place for a week. Like he was going away on holidays and I was just like, just, just leave me the keys. I'll run everything. Um, and he did. Interestingly, at the same time was when I found out that this uh, Doctor Who thing existed and there was only one or two animators on it. They needed more people. So I was like, oh man, I need an audition for this thing, (laughs) which is when they gave me that test shot of the time rotor. Uh, So it was all at the same time. I was at the laser tag by myself, uh, probably about six to eight hours of the 12 hour day. There was no one there because it's like during the school day. Uh, so I had all my equipment, the laptop and the Cintiq set up on the counter and I'd just be animating away and then I'd stop whenever a customer came in and do all those duties and then keep animating again. Life very much could have gone in either direction uh, and the the animation one happened. Uh, and it's interesting that the animation one continued to happen because at any moment over the next year, it could have all uh, gone bust because we were working on these Doctor Who productions and we had a full scale show on the way, uh, which is, it should still be on Netflix. It's called Prisoner Zero, so 26 episode sci-fi. Um, but it was the only thing that studio sort of had and um, that was sort of pitching and developing. Uh, and until it's like properly greenlit, it, you know, the plug could get pulled. But I was, I was young and inexperienced. I didn't know that. I sort of just had all my eggs in that one basket being like, I hope this show happens so I can keep making a living being an animator. <laughs> uh, and, you know, super, super lucky that it did. So that team that started, I was one of probably five people and it had about 60 uh, by the time we got to the end. Uh, so we got to see this incredible place grow. Uh, and then when that finished and everyone went their separate ways, um, they've all now sort of spread across all of Australia and pretty much most studios that you go into, you'll be able to find the influence of our little group there, which is uh, very exciting. Um, that- more or less brings us up to the present day, even though um, the 10th planet was in 2013. So it was, a no, 2012, quite a long time ago. But of course the, uh, the professional path is what every other episode in this uh, podcast has been about. So <laughs> I don't need to go too deep into that. Yeah. The other thing though is, and it, I, this is going to be the same when we go through my artwork. Once you start to reach into the present day, it's hard to know what the critical turning points were because you're too close to them if that makes any sense. Like, 10 years from now, I'll definitely be able to look back and say that was a moment that changed everything, right? But right now, you're too close to that, so you can't really see what's going to happen in the future. You haven't lived it yet, so you don't know what important points were. So it's... That's a really good point. Because a lot of these at the time, yeah, it was just another day. And some of them were kind of sucky days, like that friggin' background one. I was like, oh, this, I should just give right, up. Right. <laughs> What's the point of this if I can't just receive endless praise? Oh, God. I, yeah, exactly. And I feel like that's how a lot of people start out with artwork. Because when you first start, 
pretty much all you get is endless praise. That's probably why we start doing it is because like, oh, I like this. <laughs> yeah, no, desperate this feels nice. for for um. A validation. Validation, yes. Desperate for validation. <laughs> Why? Why do we need validation as artists? My gosh, we think we have enough of it. <laughs> I, I, it's, it's a it's a human need. Everybody needs validation. That's how cults happen. <laughs> oh boy. It's just it's just whether or not you receive your validation from a healthy source or not. Alright, so I guess it's it's my turn now to do the whole art journey. So I went and I found the absolute earliest piece of art I know of there's it's sort of a, th a throw throw down between this and another one which I don't think I've included because it's debated whether or not I drew it or my brother drew it and <laughs> how old would you have been when this happened then I was two so yeah earliest piece of art I could find uh I obviously I don't remember making this but strangely enough I feel like it's probably one of the best things I've ever done <laughs> <laughs> as, really? as far as modern art goes. Oh, right, right. Um Like, look at how all the shapes are piled down at the bottom, and yet there's some smears up here. It's just... It's the kind of thing with a adult brain that considers things, you wouldn't be able to do that. I would never be able to make this now. So my grandmother had the, for some reason, had the forethought to get it framed. And when she passed away, I said, I need those pieces of art. So I have it now. So this is just completely different than anything else I have in my collection. And I just wanted to show that. And then we get into where I actually started drawing on purpose. So <laughs> cool. what I used to do all the time is draw comics. So the, And of course, you know, what was I? Eight years old at this time. Okay. So maybe... You... So you say that although you were never pursuing it, you have been drawing since forever. Yes, yes. I feel like everyone draws when they're young, right? But I guess what I'm getting from this is that... Um, Drawing is only one thing, but more so you were a storyteller from the beginning. Yes, but my father encouraged me to make comics, and we would draw comics together, and he had me keep a diary, and I have all of those things. And I have to say that I just, they are the most valuable things I have because they are endlessly entertaining to older me. You know, pr they're probably not going to be much interest to anyone else, but to me, it's fascinating to look back on this stuff. And I have all of it, all of the artwork, all of the, the diaries and things. So, of course, you can see my sense of humor. It's just like, you know, farts and barf, and then the world explodes and everybody dies. <laughs> it's just at the bottom caption <laughs> says, all that's left of the world is a ball of fire. So... <laughs> Uh, just had, and then I kept another couple more collections of what I was drawing when I was eight years old, which would have been second grade. And I loved making these sort of random creatures. There's more of them later. Ah, oh, cool. I wish I still had some of those. I just, I'm so glad I have some of this. I used to make little activity books for my brother. So you see page five here and they had connect the dots and stuff. They remind me of Crazy Bones. Yeah, I don't think, don't know if we had those at the time yet. I don't remember how old we were when we started getting those. I think this is before that. Because I had pages like this where we'd um, just make up our own crazy bones, which um, ended up being another full circle thing when I worked on a Shopkins movie, which is just this generation's versions of, of crazy bones. That's so weird. <laughs> and then there's just randomly Kirby in there. like <laughs> Cow utters, weird pig, just sort of ridiculous stuff that I would love to go back and redraw some of these creatures now. Uh, so... Again, I came from sort of a comics, an interest in comics, so I really loved Garfield, um, and I just do endless amounts of fan art. So this image in particular is important because this is the first actual character I ever made. This is Tiger Dragon. 
and I this was fourth grade. I was ten years old, nineteen ninety nine. So I I remembered it differently in my head. Um, I haven't seen this image for since then. So almost 20 years ago, I haven't seen this image. My grandmother, I gave it to her and she put it in a folder and kept it. And I thought all images of Tiger Dragon were gone until I ended up with her files and just has this trove of artwork that she kept. Now, before we move on, how inspirational was Charizard to this piece? I know it looks just like Charizard, doesn't it? It it must have been because I do have like with the Garfield stuff, I've got Pokemon fan art. I don't think I included it. Like, year four, Pokemon would have been a thing by that point. Yes, yes, definitely. It must have been an inspiration, but I don't recall specifically making a Charizard. Somehow it ended up like Mm -hmm. that. Like, I did not picture Tiger Dragon having blue inner wings. (laughs) Like, the the wings have, like, almost, like, ear-like anatomy. Yeah, well, look, one has more ribs than the other. Oh, man. Okay, so, and then here are some of the creatures. This one, I really liked, and I feel like, it would be fun to draw this one in particular again. So this was going on when I was doing band camp and things like that. And this moment in my life is where I was drawing things and thinking I was so great, right? So this sort of high society camp I was at for music, because that's what I wanted to do when I grew up. They also have a little art program. So I took that because I would do art whenever I could. And I was so proud of this. I did some other drugs too, but nobody seemed excited about them. And I couldn't understand <laughs> because everybody else was doing very lifelike stuff, right? And I just was a complete outsider with all these crazy nonsense images <laughs> drawn up out of my head with no reference. Then we enter the anime phase, <laughs> of course. Anime was a big inspiration. And just like you said in your story, I would pause. I would take a VHS recording, pause the TV and leave that on the screen and draw from reference. You cut like the colors and everything down there. I didn't touch color till... I went digital, and I had to. Yeah, I actually, my traditional art's okay. It could definitely use some work, but... And I'm just using really low-quality color, whatever, colorama, color pencils, so I tried to get the shading in there and stuff. It just wasn't happening. So I was 13 at the time, and I, yeah, I did a couple of those. So then I'd make little frames out of the like, cut-up paper, so... But you could see... Okay, so here's when I had the reference. You could see the difference when I didn't. And I wanted to make something I'd be proud of, but you can see I wasn't because I started just drawing whatever on it and used it as a scrap page. But I tried really hard to make an original (laughs) drawing. You see the huge (laughs) difference, though. So that's why I included that. I also went through a huge Hamtaro phase. I had all of these, every single character, sometimes multiple versions of them all taped on my ceiling. This is the very first piece of digital art. I ever did. And I did everything with a mouse for a while. I didn't have a tablet. Nice. So this is done in Photoshop. I had a an illegal copy of Photoshop from the university. <laughs> and I didn't know there was such a thing as the brush tool. So I did everything with the pencil tool and couldn't figure out how people were getting smooth lines. <laughs> and I, I, yeah. So you still, I see, I still had that fascination with sort of invented creatures and then i went through again one of those community phases where i had a bunch of friends online and we would make art of things so a little bit like your story with trading the art back and forth but i we never really did any critique and i was always just trying to catch up to the other artists it really was 
be good at it. So this would have been, I was 16 when I drew that. <laughs> and you can see the liberal use of the grass brush tool. <laughs> so I had a couple more of those. But this was sort of a big phase in my life, was drawing all of people's original characters in very anime style. You can see it's all over the place. Like, some of them have okay anatomy, actually, drawing an original pose. And then some of them have eyes that are just falling off the skull in proportion wrong. <laughs> So another one or big difference between, you know, one that looks okay and one that's just her head's too big, her neck is upon her neck. Just So and then I started to figure out how to do digital art. And this piece, again, I'm only working with a mouse. I don't think I had a tablet yet. I had my first tablet piece in here somewhere. But I would use the pen tool to do all of the line art. I would draw everything, oh, cool. everything by hand. Pen tool is in like busting out the Bezier curves. Yep. So I would draw everything by hand, and I have pencil copies of all of this stuff. So this was 12th grade. This would have been in the last year in high school. And what fascinates me about this is another one from high school. This is a drawing of my concept of what a piece of RNA snipper looked like in biology. <laughs> so there's the, there's the tuna, super tuna. So it's a little concept sketch. <laughs> but... What fascinates me is you can really, if you're familiar with my art style, you can really see it starting to come through, even that long ago, 2007. Okay, here's where I got a tablet, and this was a big game changer for me. So this is the first image I ever did with a tablet. So this was a really significant one, too. Now I'm up in college, and I drew a comic during class, and this was the comic that sort of started everything <laughs> started i don't know how many years of drawing sin wolf comics is this the first page of it yeah this is the very first one i did i had no intention to do anymore i was just drawing for fun in college and i was at the time i i was there for politics so i took poli sci basically international relations right. and law i wanted to be a musician but when I went through the college advising, they warned me not to dual major in music and international relations because both of them were so demanding. So I tried to be practical and I thought, well, art and music, that's not a way to make a living. So I'll just do, uh, do law, basically. <laughs> that went completely wrong. That, that, went all, that all went sideways. The two poses in the middle there, the expressions, those appear in the crown rig. Do they? To an extent. I think so. You've definitely got a head tilt and you've got the profile squinty eye one. Yeah, yeah. So, I, it, you know, a lot of the expressions and stuff I use, but you can see where I was still in the anime eye style phase of things. This is where this ended up being the eye style that's pretty indicative of my artwork. Something really simple. So you did that, that one on a whim and then like, oh, actually, that's way easier than <laughs> doing seven reflections. It got really irritating to draw anime eyes multiple times per page. At comics, you draw a lot of the same thing over and over again. And the more detail there is, the longer it's going to take you. Repeat that philosophy times a thousand for animation. Every time you add an extra line, think it through, you're going to have to draw that line a lot. I'm pretty sure by the time I got to animation, I had totally ditched that, that anime eye style. So and still in college and I would do all these sketches and just pin them up on my wall. I had this huge wall. But this is interesting because this is a whole fledged out concept I had for, I'm not sure, a, a series, a, a comic series, an animation. I don't really know because uh, college is when I started to do animations too. 
the premise was that there were different dogs and they caught they would catch fish and that's how people survived was eating these fish that the dogs caught so they the dogs the dogs would all have different abilities and like one of the dogs was blind but it could sense the fish in the water and you see this concept sketch of a of a fish and the different abilities it had it was pointy but it had vulnerable fins and sharp bones on the tail or whatever <laughs> it's just a weird a weird thing so that never really went anywhere but it was always on my mind i went through a tattoo phase um this is actually how i started making money on artwork so i would post these to deviantart and then i started getting requests for commissions i don't see the specific one i had but there was one in particular that became famous and so i started getting these requests for these tribal style tattoos and that's how i started making money with artwork this is one of the assignments I had for college, and I know I've mentioned this probably not in the podcast, but I've mentioned it in streams and stuff before, but this was a comic I did instead of an essay, and when I brought this into the professor, he said, don't stop drawing, and that made a huge impact on me, so then I started to take art seriously after this, and then I would do stuff and enter it into the fair to make prize money because nobody there were so few entries that you could kind of blue ribbon on stuff all the categories that weren't popular so i'd always do colored pencil stuff like i mean this one i would try to do things that the farm people would find interesting but i would also do personal pieces it's like a coffee angel <laughs> uh and by now we're into 2009 so these both these pieces were both 2009 it's I don't do a lot of art like this anymore. It might be a little bit surprising for people to see these. But I don't know if this happens with you, but there are pieces that I look back on. I still think they're pretty good. Uh, and I think like, wow, I can't draw like that anymore. But okay, so I also did the graphic design stint. This is my first logo. I actually have this printed out on a hat. Well, I'm still not a very strong graphic designer, but I obviously still have to do it for business stuff every now and then. I had a warrior cat's phase. I had a lot of different inspirations. I drew a lot of different stuff, but mostly animals. So, okay, here's the famous one. Should I premise that I did have more inspirations than just Doctor Who? I kind of narrowed in the story a little you, bit. Well, I don't know. You did show other sci-fi stuff as well. What you'll see, though, the difference is that I was a very sort of fantasy animal anime type inspirations, and you had a much more technology, robots, and sci-fi based inspiration right like would it have been better if we had wider inspirations rather than narrowed ones because if you're really focused in you can get pretty good at one thing in particular but then the range of i don't know i don't know that that's the theme for a whole episode now that you bring that up though i do want to say i was thinking about this just a couple of hours ago and it's unfortunate but the reality is you make a lot more if you are focused on a very specific way of drawing a very specific thing, you become known for that. That's sort of the unfortunate thing. So if you do a bunch of styles and all kind of all over the place, then there's not really anything that people would look at and say, oh, that's that artist. Getting typecast. Yeah, you you almost, you need to get typecast, I think, to be able to... It can, well, because then you get hired for that particular thing. Exactly. But then again, there's many artists that I recognize, even if they're doing a different style, you still recognize them just from like, the the weight of their pen thickness definitely but i feel like in the independent world if you're not typecast you're gonna struggle so like that was a tattoo and yeah i did traditional pieces now and then this would have been 2011 i don't have my age 
written up there, so I'm not sure how old. We'd have to do the math. All right. So then, again, I talked about that jump in in skill level. And then, you know, here's here's the animation. Here we go. Like, look at that huge difference. <laughs> I think this isn't the first animation I did, but this is the first My Little Pony thing I ever did. And if anybody's familiar with me, like, this was a big game changer. Uh, like, this is what I got typecast for, was pony stuff. And I still, today, mostly get hired to do pony stuff. That is interesting, because, like, what, what was it like back then? Because now that community is very good at perfectly replicating the house style. Yeah, I mean, look at how, like, just look at how awful this is, even from a non-house style perspective. Uh, <laughs> trying to do frame by frame and combining with puppets and having no idea how to do any of those things. And you're saying that's your first, that's your first animation, right? No, no. First animation is all frame by frame drawn in Photoshop. Uh, oh, jeez. That is actually better quality than this. So this was the first animation I ever did. But that piece I showed with the ponies was the kickoff to everything over the past few years. And a significant amount of business that that eventually ended up with me getting my degree and then just going off the rails, <laughs> becoming an animator. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, again, even at this time, I was still doing everything by hand and then, and then doing coloring it digitally. But I don't really do that anymore. It's sort of sad. I do everything digitally now, so I don't have any physical artwork. It's incredible how that fr that one franchise is like an industry in of itself. Oh, well, I mean, it's inspired many, many, many artists. I'm just one of, of many people who are now in the professional industry, which is pretty amazing. But of course, I was working with other fandoms before that. So in a way, it was only a matter of time before something caught everybody's attention, I guess. Some piece of fan work I was working on. Uh, this is the first time I drew Scribbles. This was 2014. Oh, wow. And this is just sort of now we're getting up to modern stuff, like rigs that I do and little chibis. Cool. So did did your channel exist by this point? Oh, yeah. Yeah, this is... I think the channel existed way back... I've had it for almost 10 years, around around this period. And are all those videos still there, if we dig deep enough, or have you unlisted a bunch? I've unlisted a bunch, but the critical ones are still there, just so that if anybody was interested, they could go to the back of the channel and sort of see the progress. Some of those animations are were immensely popular, and I have no, I'm not going to take those down. People actually look for those, even though they were terrible. Oh, gosh. Yeah, that's kind of it. Now we're up into the modern era, so I don't, I can't really tell you right now what what the turning point is going to be. There's a lot going on right now, so yeah, we'll see. There's definitely, I'm definitely at a crux in the road right now, and I'm not sure which way things are going to go. You can pretty much document my life through the all of the artwork. That's why there's so much. I just went through hundreds of pieces and kind of picked out. Okay, that was a critical moment. That was a critical moment. So when you were 13. You wouldn't have been able to predict where you would have ended up now. So even if you're feeling like, uh, if you're in a crux, like you, you don't know where you're going to be at in another ten years. But looking back in 2030, it's going to feel obvious. It, right, right. It is going to feel obvious. Like, and sometimes it's important to, I think, do this. At least I find it very helpful when feeling in a bit of a rut or that things aren't improving, to go on a bit of a nostalgia trip. It's, I'm sure it's different for individuals because there's so many artists that as soon as it enters the cringe field, they just have to delete it. No, no. But I, that's the thing is I'm so glad I never deleted any of this stuff. I mean, I've taken it off of my public portfolio, yes. 
Yeah, I th- but I think it's important for things in the cringe field to still exist. And the thing is, once you go so far beyond it, it's not cringe anymore. I, I don't feel like looking at any of this stuff for me is cringy. Like the anime stuff, sure, is kind of eh, but it's not bad. I mean, that's pretty freaking good. <laughs> it's just, it's just <laughs> embarrassing, right? I'm sharing my embarrassing stuff. Well, uh, what would be the word for it? When they break through the other end of the cringe field, then maybe they enter like the charmed field because it's oh, it's nostalgic now. Yeah, like there's soul in it, you know. Like you're doing it because it's fun. You weren't really think sitting there being like, "Oh, I need to get the anatomy right." It's just oh, whatever. Um, and that example you're saying of the character that you would like to draw again. Oh yes, yes. That's a lot of fun, and I want to do more of that. Hence the you know next year is Dalek year. Yeah, that's it. We fit. We've done our. Uh... The show's over. <laughs> that's it. Go home, everybody. Go home. Show's over. All right. Um, well, it's, it's been a pleasure to do this project with you and to have me as a regular on your channel for all these months. Now I'm sad. <laughs> <laughs> now I'm sad. Wait, we can't end sad. We can end That's sad. That's not good. Oh, that wait. means there'll be a longing for a return. <sighs> I mean, I know people have been listening to this while they draw and stuff like that, but we didn't want to start repeating ourselves. We have more topics that we haven't covered that we would like to cover. But again, we, we sort of found ourselves getting into repetitive territory and we don't, you know, we have no reason to be a podcast which then talks about recent movies and stuff because <laughs> then the, that information goes out of date really quick and that's what everybody else does. So we, we achieved our goal. Life's getting busier again. Like this was always uh, a bit of, bit of a side project. So we're going to leave it to see if a surplus of new topics appear and new ideas and things like that. So feel free to suggest them if you think it would be worth returning. Uh, or we could start the conspiracies that the, there was some horrible falling out and I got booted off. Oh, that you got booted off the channel. Well, right? I mean, it's your no. channel. Like, I wouldn't beat you off it. You could try? <laughs> I mean, actually, there are ways. Let's not talk about that. Well, it's, it, it, has, it has been a pleasure to, to be here. Uh, and I feel like I was... Uh, v- very welcomed by your audience, which is which is lovely, uh, considering uh, how all of this started. Because I was, it was just that one guest video on Scribble Kibble, and whenever we tried to talk for ten minutes, it would we'd just carry on for three hours. And I was just like, hey, hey, podcast, let's do it, let's do it. And eventually, you were just like, all right, we'll we'll do a pilot. Let's see how it goes. If you want to, it's very easy to go and look back through the previous episodes. You can get them all on iTunes. So if you've missed any, that's the nice thing. With a closure like this, you can watch the whole set and have finished something. Yay! Which is nice. It's not going to go on for 286 episodes. Oh, so often online shows like that, they're impossible to start because you'll never you'll never catch up. Do you start from today? Do you start from the beginning? Oh, yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's difficult starting our one from the beginning, though. They were, I think they were a little difficult to listen to at the start. <laughs> well, yeah. The beginning episodes were a little... We were trying to find our footing and stuff. But they are there for you to listen to. Um, you can always go to animoot.com and get a playlist, which should be easy to go through if you want to use the YouTube option. Otherwise, just search for it on iTunes and it should come up. I don't know if there's anything else... I needed to mention, I feel like I had a page of notes somewhere, like, thank you for listening, and obviously subscribe to our channels if you haven't already, we're going to continue producing content, and I know there are some things that Onion Skin's working on that I kind of want to jump on the ship to collab with him on, so I know he came over here, but I want to go over there for some stuff now, so we'll see. 
And, and for you guys, if anyone who listens to this is subscribed to Onion Skin, you might have noticed this sort of weird coincidence that at around the time this podcast started, uploads to my channel almost ceased completely. It wasn't because I sh shifted my attention, it was more of things got busy. Uh, so now, by weird coincidence, and probably because there's a bit of time not having to edit these ones, <laughs> uh, attention to Onion Skin will be returning very soon. There's uh, a couple of larger projects, uh, so uh, please do subscribe there. It's not a dead, a dead channel, I promise. Oh my god! <laughs> uh, there'll be lo lots of things to learn and practice together, all for animation enthusiasts and the aspiring alike. Yeah, so we did it. We finally talked about our personal art journeys. Um, please feel free to share yours below. I always like looking through those comments. I do respond to them. And every now and then I, I think about using them for inspiration to make new things. So it's always good to see what other people's experiences are because that's what I draw from and that's where I get my video ideas from. Hooray! So thanks again for inviting us into your homes for the past many months. It's been a pleasure and, uh, and so good to be able to spend time with you, Crown, every week. I'm, what am I going to do without the weekly or bi-weekly meeting where we just sit and talk about animation stuff? Well, anyway. Okay, until next time, everyone. Keep animating. <laughs> Keep animating. <laughs> Keep on mooting. Keep on mooting. Keep mootin'. on mooting. <laughs>